This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. Sona, how's your sock drawer looking? It's messy. There's a lot of single socks. Yep. I think it's time for a little spring cleaning. Oh. <laughs> Check out Bombas. Once you try a pair, you'll never look at socks the same way again. I should know. I like my Bombas. Their spring collection has new garden party socks that bring the party to your feet. My feet have never been to a party. <laughs> oh, They've so got sad. stripes and florals and new vintagey colored rib socks. You know, when I'm wearing Bombas, I feel like my feet are being caressed and cared for in a way they never have been in my life. Hmm. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash Conan and use code Conan for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Conan and use code Conan at checkout. Hi, my name is Maya Rudolph, and I feel pretty terrific about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walk in blues, climb the fence, books and pens, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hey, everybody. Welcome to... That was terrible. Let's try it again. I'm not going to do that. That's sort of like someone woke you from a nightmare. Oh, let me try it again. Hello and welcome to another episode of Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. I really do need a friend. We all need a friend during these times, these very trying times. And so thrilled to be doing the podcast, you know? It nourishes me. Can you tell that, Sona, that the podcast nourishes me? Uh, what? what? It nourishes me. I enjoy it. I enjoy the podcast. That's not a hard concept to understand. It's not. It's a, nourishes is a weird word. I, I no, really do see that you enjoy, what do you mean? It no, feeds me. Nourishes. No, that's weird. I think people say that. Matt, do you think that was so weird that I say the podcast nourishes me? <laughs> no, I think it's like you're like a Lestat vampire who feeds on the adoration of other people. So it does make sense to me. Yeah. Oh, so I, I was thinking of myself as a um, as an infant suckling at the teat oh. of podcastery. Either one isn't a win, but I'm I do agree. Yeah, that's how I see it. I see it that the podcast is uh, I'm a newborn and I need uh, fresh mother's milk. Yes, and and I found this uh, medium quite by accident, and I'm sure I don't belong here, but I'm suckling at the teat of podcastery. Yes. Uh, I don't think of myself as a wampier. That's vampire, uh, pronounced in the old. 19th century sense. I am not a wampier. Uh, why? Why what? Why would anyone need to care? 
about, about how they pronounced vampire in the 18th century. I think they didn't. They Matt, is there's a movie, the one where um, is it the Francis Ford Coppola? Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, Wampy. Uh, Gary Oldman over enunciates everything. Why don't you grow a beard? Why don't you grow a beard? Oh my god, I love that movie. I tried to get my kids to watch that movie the other night, and they I was describing it to them, and they I wouldn't watch it. I love that movie, it. too. They don't watch horror. My kids oh. won't watch horror, and I love horror movies. And also, mm-hmm. that movie has so many... It has great, truly great moments, and then moments that are, like, uh, so ridiculous, you know, in, in some of the performances and in some of the yeah. imagery. It's insane. But anyway, we've decided, one way or the other, whether you say it nourishes me or it suckles me... It suckles you? <laughs> Yes. Wait, I said that wrong, didn't I? You did say that. Well, you know, in a way, can I say something? And this is going to sound a little, maybe just a little uh, (laughs) self-centered. The medium has suckled at me. Oh. Because I think I have uh, nourished podcasts uh, with my uh, contribution. (laughs) And I know that that's going to enrage the podcast community. They're going to say, hey, man, you just came along like a year and a half ago. What the fuck? And I'm going to go, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, other podcasts, but you suckle at my teat just as I suckle at yours. Yeah, and it's been two years, so fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, once you go get bit by a wampir. Oh, man. I think it's, uh, you know, too late to introduce you guys now, but of course, Sonam Obsession, my uh, assistant until, well, she moves on. Yes. Many hints, but nothing happens. And then, of Mm -hmm. course, Matt Gorley, a terrific uh, podcast producer. You do a great job. You really do. Thanks. Where's the bit? There's no bit. He really does do a good job. Yeah. I have a pitch for us. Yes. I think the three of us should go on the sensation that's sweeping America, Floor is Lava. Do you know about this? No. It's this huge new game show on Netflix where three people have to go across a room where all the furniture's floating in lava, and you have to use all this kind of like strategy and coordination to work together as a team, and I think we'd all... Let me ask a couple of questions to, yeah. to understand quickly. So quickly, is, yeah. is it real lava? It's No, but it's like red-colored water, and when the people fall in, they cut away and you never see them again, like they died. Wow. It's about teamwork, we would die. No. Yeah. I don't think so. I think so. Yeah, I think you would start speaking way too loud, and that would part the lava. The oh. lava would move aside. It'd be a, <laughs> even make it'd sense. be a path because that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> not like seen, Moses, but just because. No, she's no, no, no. So. Seriously, you'd be like, "Now wait a minute. Where do we get a good burrito?" And all of the uh, all <laughs> okay. of the lava would part. Well, is this this is a huge show? It's huge. Yeah. And um, you think the three of us should go on it? Yeah, I think it will be a study in dysfunction. Would they book us? I mean, obviously, they'd be you know Conan O'Brien. That's I catch. think that's exactly okay. why. Yeah, they would. They'd but when I say I'm bringing my two friends from the podcast along, don't I get some pushback? You know, hey, why not Andy Garcia? Um, Andy what, that's Garcia. your first choice. Are you even friends with Andy Garcia? <laughs> I'm not, but I'm pretending that I have a posse that's me, Andy Garcia, and <laughs> who else? Uh, Larry Storch. Uh, Larry Storch. I think he's close to 100 years old, and he played uh, Agarn on F Troop. That's my posse. It's a strange posse, but it's my posse. Uh, do they get celebrities on that show? They have not yet. Hmm. <laughs> Pitching him for a show. So you're yeah. pushing me. Just normal yes. everyday. I thought they got like the top celebrities in the <laughs> no, world, and no, I was flattered that you thought I could be no, on it. What they do is they'll do like the teachers, the um, the tennis friends. We would be the podcasters. No. Yes. No. No, we would not be the podcasters. Lord, I would be us. Conan O'Brien and then those two people. What? Uh, I'm sorry. sorry. That's what it would be. We don't even get names? Well, no. No. People, you'd be person one and Gorley would be person two. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. That's how it works. I don't think this is a good idea. You don't think we should go on this no, show? No, because I is think- Is there a show we should go on? Is there ever a Bachelor? What? I can't go on The Bachelor, can I? Because I'm married. No, you can't. No, really? and you're, you're, I'm not saying this to be mean. You're too old. I'm not the saying fuck? that to be uh, mean. Well, you are too Wait a minute. Old. Wait a minute. You had a perfect out, which is Conan. You've been married for almost 20 years. <laughs> you can't be on The Bachelor. And you didn't go with that? How am I too old to be on The Bachelor? They're I am not... all in their 20s and 30s. So what I look, people have no idea how old I am. I'm a very youthful person. You've been on television 30? for as long as some of those contestants have been alive. I got started very young uh-huh. and I've had a lot of work done. Okay. I'm telling you, if I was a bachelor, so many women would just be losing it and yeah. hoping that I, is it, the, is it a rose? What do you do? Yeah, you rose? give a rose. I don't watch it. What? I don't see the show a lot. I just <laughs> you want to be on a reality show you don't watch. I don't get. You I, just want to be flanked by a lot of women. I want. I think a lot of very young women who are like fitness instructors uh-huh. would be saying, "I got to spend time in the hot tub with Conan." But then Kirsty came along. <laughs> but there'd be a lot of the episode of The Bachelor where I had to leave to go take cholesterol lowering medication. <laughs> I needed a nap, and I wanted to watch the latest Ken Burns documentary. <laughs> and there's just 20 roses this left is, on the ground, is, and that's all you see. There's just roses everywhere, and all these <laughs> women are like, who is this guy? And then one of them's like, how old is he again? <laughs> Jesus, you're kidding. He's that old? Wait, when I was born, he was 40? How is that even possible? <laughs> oh, my God. And I'd come out every now and then, I'd be like, who wants a shoulder rub? <laughs> oh, God. I'd be like, no. Oh, thank you. I'll give you the rose if you let me smell your hair. Oh. You never eliminate anyone. You just I know I would never eliminate 15 contestants. I would keep all You'd say bring a friend. I would say bring a friend. I would say I'd be completely asexual. Well, ladies, we've had a great couple of months here. You haven't eliminated any of us. Maybe I'll give a rose soon. You haven't given one fucking rose away, you old piece of shit. I'm not as old as you think I am. They hate you so they much. They hate me so much. Uh, <laughs> They're always just like, I just went off the island. Oh my God. If you're lucky, I'll have sex with you. Oh. <laughs> they should do a creepy old bachelor. Well, you've convinced me. Forget Flora's Lava. I want to see this. And I want to see You know what they should do? I, it's yeah. the new show I'm looking at called... <laughs> Expired creepy, bachelor. Creepy old bachelor. <laughs> bachelor. None of the women want to be with him. I, I really want to see that show. I, I think that's just called every office environment. Yeah, probably. No. Uh, well, they never know who the bachelor is until they get there, I think. so. No, they don't get oh, there. Can right. you see that? Can you imagine yeah. their faces? Yeah. If they get oh. all those women and they go like, well, now who who hosts the bachelor? Is it? Chris Harrison. Yeah, I thought it was uh, Stibe Chutley. Oh, you thought it was, no, Stibe Chutley quit a couple years Years is it, ago. Is it Chiz Backman? No. Who is it? Not Chiz Backman. Oh. It's, uh, is it Chris- Chaz Halloway? Um, but anyway, uh, no, the host of The Bachelor, right? Uh, Bing, Bing Shalimar. Bing Shalimar would say, um, and here he is, and I come out. Yeah. It's a, a franchise that's existed for so long. And I would kill it, you in, would one kill it yeah. in one episode. kill it in one episode. And whoever sticks it out gets to have a little bunt cake. <laughs> that's, that's my big. That's what they're there for. You get a bunt cake. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, um, we can't mess around. We got a we got a fantastic show today. Fantastic show today. Want me to tell you who's on? Yes. Oh, right. They already announced who's on. 
Yeah, it's not a big surprise. I always act like it's a surprise. I fundamentally I don't understand how my own podcast works. I know. It says when you get the show, who's on the show. Do you know what I mean? And when yeah. they've already introduced themselves. They've already introduced themselves. It's so clear. I don't don't listen to it. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just having a good time. Yeah. But I'm very excited about our guest. Mm-hmm. My guest today is someone who I've wanted to have uh, on the program since the very beginning of his podcast. Yeah. Uh, she's a hilarious actress and comedian. Uh, who was a cast member on Saturday Night Live and starred in the hit movie Bridesmaids. She's currently nominated for three Emmys. Good God. Three Emmys just this season alone for her roles on Saturday Night Live, Big Mouth, and The Good Place. I am thrilled and honored she is with us today. Maya Rudolph, welcome. I'm going to start by bragging on your behalf, which Ooh. is you are currently nominated for three Emmys. Ain't that a, a bitch? That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit. I wouldn't say it's a bitch. I don't know what I'd say. Ain't that I a- guess you're supposed to say like, ain't that about a bitch if you're cool? I, I don't really know if I'm saying it right, but I, I'm pretty thrilled. Well, I am cool. And you're supposed to say, ain't that bout a bitch? Because that's how I talk. That's what people, Conan. That's what that's they know Con- you for. That's a Conanism. That's, that was my catchphrase in the 90s when I was in late night. I would mm-hmm. open the show by going, ain't that bout a bitch? People mm-hmm. went crazy. People go, <sighs> Yeah, just crowd would go nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to say something. You get, you're nominated for three Emmys this year for your roles on Sound Out Live, Big Mouth, and The Good Place. Check this out. You are the first actor in Emmy history, in Emmy history, to be nominated twice in the same guest category in a single year. That's fucking crazy. That's fucking crazy. I I can't believe it's me that they're talking about. Well, I looked into it. They're not. It's a mistake. It's a clerical. Yeah, it's no, it's not you. It was about Angela Bassett. Listen, I'll take it. It says right here, Angela Bassett, and they fucked up. I'll I'll take it, Angela. I'll take it. Because let me tell you something, Conan. I'm not getting a lot of great news these days. I don't know about you, but it's nice to get good news. Yeah, it is. Well, that, I, I can imagine you getting the call early in the morning. I'm guessing that you're nominated three times. And then this historic, you know, twice in the, you're competing against yourself in the yeah. same guest category. I am. There's such a rivalry going on at my house right now <laughs> <laughs> between me and me. <laughs> That'd be great. That's so great. If it's you were so just, cool. yeah, if you were just sort of bitchy about yourself, like, <laughs> yeah. no, she's okay. There's some hate campaigns out there's like you're putting out against yourself i you've seen her on saturday night live but is she really reading the cue cards (laughs) (laughs) well as long as you hate yourself my advice to you is put all of your self-esteem into these emmys if you uh win really love yourself Mm -hmm. and if for some reason you don't which i think is statistically difficult but if you didn't i think you should just feel terrible i should end it all yeah well i wouldn't do that no i'd stick around but just be really You you might be right. You you make a good point. I make a really good point. No, I'm very happy for you. Uh, I'm always, I want to say nourished when really talented people are recognized 
uh, and you, mm. you've been recognized many times, but it makes me believe in the system. Does that make sense? It kind of makes me it feel does, like no, and that's- I, I feel like I'm talking about someone else I know because I feel the same way because I, I think you and I both share the same underdog DNA because of our Saturday Night Live time that we put in. And so no matter how successful you become or how loved or lauded you are, we were originally plebes working within a system that, that, that I mean, I'm being facetious when I say that I, I you know, I, there's nothing I'm more proud of than being at Saturday Night Live. But there's this amazing thing that Lauren did, which was when he created that place, he put in that not ready for primetime players thing that built up this kind of amazing camaraderie with all of us that work there, both the cast and the writers that um, made us these underdogs because we had these movie stars coming in and out every week. And we were the hardworking scrappy kids that, that fought really hard to get our shit on the air. And that's where you find all those incredibly talented people um, that week in and week out, you know, put their lifeblood into that place and really are the funniest people that, you know, Um, But don't always get the credit. And so I just became really used to that. You know, I mean, I think that's kind of my response every time something gets recognized that it's um, that's someone that I think is amazingly talented because it happens rarely. You know, what's interesting is that there's this feeling that I had at Cernet Live, and I think it's what you're describing. It's, it's, you know, the institution, the comedic institution, maybe in American history. Uh, It's this absolutely incredible place that you go into. But while you're there, it plays on all your insecurities. That's Mm -hmm. what happened to me. I never felt like I deserved to be there. Mm -hmm. I would work incredibly hard. And no matter what kind of success I had there, I thought, I'm just the guy that's here to sort of fix the furnace. You know, you had tremendous success, but there's something about leaving and then you have done so well uh, as yourself and on your own terms that, and it's the same thing, you know, uh, Tina Fey, uh, so many people, Amy Poehler, you become those people that would then come back to Saturday Night Live and everyone would be nervous around you. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Which is very hard to accept. You, yeah. There's this acceptance that if you're lucky happens later on that you can never feel when you're at Saturday Night Live because it feels like it's you're in high school. You can't feel too Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. Like it like maybe college at best. But yeah, I mean, my, my office was so messy and shitty. It probably smelled bad because we were in there at you know, when the cleaning people were supposed to come in, we were in there till eight o'clock in the morning. So it was was disgusting. I mean, I was there for the days that some of those dudes were peeing in cups and leaving them on their shelf. You know, those, (laughs) those stories. I do that during the podcast. You do that now. (laughs) I'm doing it now. Right, right, right now. Hold on. There we go. What was the question? <laughs> I got distracted. I got um, distracted too. But yeah, uh, it, it's, it's, <laughs> you said it so well because the minute you said these beautiful people would come in your office, my first thought was J-Lo, you know, like her, it was the first time Jennifer Lopez came into the office and we were pitching her something. And I thought, God, I'm really not, that's a real person. That person's skin looks that good in, in real life. And this was before people were were surgically augmenting their posteriors. Hers is real, and it was in my office, and it was beautiful. Right, so right. beautiful. Did you look at it a lot? Did you look yeah. at were you? Were you just staring at it like it was the second coming of Christ? I was. I was. I honestly was. It was really beautiful. Yeah, I hear it can heal the sick. It like, can. You will often. walk again. 
If, if there's <laughs> little boy in a wheelchair is brought to JLo's ass and he just looks at it and then he's tap dancing. And JLo's like, come on. That's the first step is after the wheelchair, he's tap dancing. He, oh, he goes right to tap dancing. And he's he's not good. He's no. not a good tap dancer, but uh, he's just so excited to be walking um, because of JLo's ass. Oh, my no, God. It, it, no, but it's it, fascinating. It's so true what you said is exactly true not the not the tap dancing part but the the the, the high school the um imposter syndrome yes. the like i do believe that it's it, it's there for a reason whether mm-hmm. it was intended initially or not but it does breed um you know something where we work harder, that much harder. I mean, when I worked there, I didn't have a family and I, I lived alone and, you know, I, I lived like a, like a vampire. Like there was nothing in my refrigerator and I don't know when anything had been cleaned. And I was rarely home because everything I did was for that place. And that's all that mattered at that time. But it, but it made me a really, uh, it made me a really dedicated, uh, hard worker. You, uh, I think like a lot of us, a lot of us thought, could I work there at Saturday Night Live? That was a dream of yours. You were a huge fan of Gilda Radner's. And I'm wondering, why did you gravitate? I mean, I I think the answer is obvious. And and this isn't me being, many people gravitated to her. But what was it specifically about Gilda Radner for you? It's so funny because, you know, when you're a kid and and you like something like that, you don't know why. And you think, huh, that was odd that I like that. And then you meet all your people and you find out later that Tina loved her and Amy loved her. And, you know, everybody had the same feelings. But for me, it was this adult world that my parents were old enough to be a part of. And they were watching the show. And I know now that other than the fact that they all looked cool, Gilda radiated some sort of joy and um, you, I wanted to be her friend. You know, yes. I, I felt yeah. this like gravitational pull to her smile and to the joy that she was having. And I, and I, I later recognized this feeling for myself that when I feel that way, when I want to play with someone, that means that I, I, I you know, that I, th- that I'm going to enjoy it. That means that I obviously right. like it. You know, when you really feel like you're pulled in, like, oh, I want to go play with that person, you know, you know that you're, you're going to love it. I never got to meet uh, Gilda Radner, but Me neither. I just know that she would have been a delightful person. And I know so many people who've said, oh, no, no, she was absolutely delightful. And you would have had a really good time with her. And yeah. I think what you hit on is this thing that makes me think about music and comedy and how it's all about playing. Oh, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. You know that the, the go- I didn't know that. We're going to, you're going to know that in a minute. I I think I intuitively brought you to, I mean, this is just what I do. It's Mm -hmm. like, I have a divining rod. Um, But no, but I was going to say, I, I, you, you say it, it's, you can enjoy yourself and, and tap into this frequency and it's Mm -hmm. fun. And afterwards people are like, that was great. Good job. You think job. Yeah. I, I would have done that for free and I've been doing it for free for the last 48 years, really, or at least the first 20 
something right. years in my house and for my parents and their friends in my living room. It's the thing that you do and it feels right and it feels good. The thing you were bringing up about music also just fascinates me because I'm fascinated by the music comedy connection especially mm-hmm. and I know you understand that being a musical person yourself so it's like this strange um place where it's it's like me um I, I'm I'm fascinated by the place where there's a mutual admiration society between musicians and comedians and also how they're very exclusively their own things and great musicians can't really be fabricated you either just are a great musician or you're not it's there's no there's really no in between and the same i think with a great comedian i could that's why i love hearing you know bands talk about like quote spinal tap or yes or or quote you know their favorite funny things because i i know that they understand how funny it is and for some reason they both operate on the same frequency well you know it's interesting because you as someone who's very you know, uh, incredibly adept at both. You, maybe you can answer this. There's this weird thing where rock gods envy comedians. Yes. And comedians, every comedian I know wants to be a rock god because yes. it's a, it just seems objectively cooler to be them. It I does, doesn't it? It's definitely cooler, hands down, from a comedian's point of view, to be the rock god, 150%. But... I don't know. Talk to them about it and I, you oh, might I be have. surprised. I, they still um, they they still know they're cooler. No, no, no. I will tell you a, a quick story. This happened in like the 90s. I went out and I used to do the, my own warm up on the show and I would actually sing a song and, and I'm walking up the aisle and I stop and Jeff Beck wow. is sitting in the audience. Probably next, maybe many people put him on par with Eric Clapton as one wow. of the great guitarists of all time. And just this iconic, amazing, incredible musician. And he's still making great music. And he is, a he is, you know, in that pantheon of sixties and seventies rock gods. And he's sitting in the aisle and I go up the aisle and I see him and I think, shit, it's Jeff Beck. I can't believe what's he doing here. And so I, I recover. I don't call him out. I get through the warm up. I do the show. The show's over. It's like a, I think it was an okay show. Nothing to write home about. He's outside the uh, studio 6A afterwards. And he's like, I'm like, oh, you know, wow, Jeff, it's Mr. Beck. It's so cool to have you here. And he went, oh, if I could do what you do, <laughs> I would finally be happy. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> not. Like, like, and he was just like, um, just to be, is, you know, kind of to, and I was like thinking, what do you mean to do what I do? Have light chat with someone from Dawson's Creek? What the fuck are you talking about? By the way, yes, that's specifically what he was talking about. He was like, the way, the way you handled Vanderbeek was Masterful, you, and I just couldn't understand what he was talking about. And then when you threw the commercial, and then there was a commercial that I don't know how you do it. Was he dying when he was talking? To you? Yes, he was. It was weird. Very few people know this, but uh, he had a terrible disease at the time, and he was literally uh, running out of air as I spoke oh. to him. Which is so my, uh, you know, it sounds like you're putting down my impression, but it's actually very, very accurate. I bet it's accurate. No, I, I think. <laughs> that in hearing that it really makes me believe in my own personal theory that might be complete bullshit, which is that there is something 
I don't know if musical is the right word for it, but what he was watching you do is something that is really only attainable by the comedian. Yes. Yeah. And we feel the same way about that unbelievable ability when we see a fantastic musician. People, yes. Like I said, people can play music, but we're talking about fantastic musicians. And there is something about timing that is not... Um, that's my Instacart uh, delivery, guys. Mm-hmm. Who's here yeah, now. I had that sent over. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for 16 fryer chickens. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know what to get people. I know. I what mean, people that's like. all I live on. Um, you know, there's something about that that is just that's not that the, that it, that isn't fake. And I think that's really exciting to what is it? She's going to get him and then she's going to she's going to attack. Him. OK, I'm just going to describe to people because they can't see it. You're holding up a beautiful uh, oh, small dog. Sorry, sorry, OK, Daisy. now it's clear it's a dog. <laughs> I like how the, your dog. What's your dog's name? Daisy. I like that Daisy oh. said, I'm going to help Conan out by proving that I'm a dog in this audio format by going woof. I squeezed um, her. I just, I squoze, I squoze the life out of her so that she would <laughs> let you know. That's so I was showing everybody before, but she likes to sit in this like weird nook where like she can't, she's, she gets squished on purpose. Yeah. It must be like a, a womb, a womb thing for dogs. Yes. Some know. people want to be uh, crushed. It's one of my erotic fantasies is to be crushed. <laughs> well, excuse me. I thought that's, it says here on the paper, talk to my about your uh, erotic, erotic fantasies. Erotic fantasies? Well, I heard that this is something you were into. Uh, I like I'm, to be crushed and constrained. That, that's that is what I wanted to talk to you about today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, uh, we could get into all the amazing work you've done and all the things that are happening for you, and talk about comedy. But no, I'm a fledgling. I'm a fledgling therapist as well. Okay. I mean, I've got to find something to do these days. Well, good. Then you can help me. Yeah, I really want to be. Um, I think of tight belts around you. And they're tightened, and, <laughs> and the woman is saying, you be good, and it's and very a snake, complicated. a snake comes out of her mouth? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> How did you know that? I'm a it fledgling is... therapist. I know oh, a lot well, of Oh, God, you're good, yes. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty yeah. good. And then the snake says, accept your real sexuality. And I'm like, hey, hey, whoa. <laughs> okay, that was too much. Um, probably too much. You know, I did want to bring up, I know that you are a, a huge admirer of Prince and his music and that you had this incredible band, Princess. Do, do, you still, do you still do Princess occasionally? Do you guys reform? Do you still perform? We do. I mean, I didn't know if we... We were doing it when he was alive mm-hmm. because my friend Gretchen and I were just doing it anyway. It was like one of those things like, I'm going to be doing this in my car anyway, or like doing this in the shower. I might, we might as well do this publicly. Um, not together. We weren't in the shower together, but I mean, I mean, we could. <laughs> yep. We were college buddies, but. It's another of my fantasies. Go ahead. Yep. But then we we realized that the prince that we loved was the prince that we grew up with, which was this early, um, gritty, up into mm-hmm. Purple Rain and a little bit beyond that, this kind of right. like fun. And he was really back to what we were talking about before. I realized as an adult, really funny. His yeah. stage, his stage performances had such great stuff too. He was, un, he was like, I, I mean, one of my all time favorite performers that will ever, that I will have ever seen. I don't know if you ever mm-hmm. got to see him live, but it was so did, exhilarating yeah. because he could do anything. And then he was also really funny too. And there was something about that combination. So that's why we, we started doing it and we were kind of laughing through it and all that wonderful 
energy combined. We were doing that in the shows and then he died and I thought, well, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. But after a while, it started to feel nice to celebrate him and then yes, yeah. we weirdly like found all these other you know you find more of your people and like we found all these other um kind of freaks who felt the same exact way and that like they they got all the jokes they knew how funny he was they knew all the live stuff and they loved the the bootlegs we all knew the same bootlegs and the same long versions of things and he just happened to be such a prolific musician that there was just so much there's so much stuff to cover that we always do new stuff every time so we've been doing it for a while i think we were talking about doing something again before the election to get people to vote but i don't think we'll be doing it just yet yeah yeah i don't think so either i I think covid will not allow that but did you get I'm, i'm imagine you got to meet prince i did get to meet him i realized the other day that i i didn't know him intimately like he wasn't like a like a true friend, but I but he knew I loved him, which made me feel really proud. And then good. Um, I got to hug him three times in my life. You were there the the one of those nights. You were there for the one of the hugs, which was the SNL. Yeah, the I 40th. saw him uh, several times. Uh, he was at SNL when I was there. I don't remember what year that was. Oh, and I thought that is the most perfect looking human I've mm. ever seen. And people have asked me and I said, and I don't mean it to be, it's not about his size. It's not like a, a size joke that he was small. He was like a doll, mm-hmm. a very perfectly made doll. And I'm talking about his face and his yeah. features. And he looked like he had been crafted by mm-hmm. a, by a, by a beautiful you know, someone who really knew workmanship and I then agree. buffed him I to totally a high gloss. Agree. <laughs> and and um, I had a, a funny thing with him, which is I was hosting something, I think it was for Tiger Woods, some charity event, and they had this amazing lineup and they asked me to sort of MC or do stuff. And I can't remember, but I remembered it was, um, I was at this venue and an insane lineup. The person closing the show is going to be Stevie Wonder. Mm. And so... I'm backstage and there was this rumor that maybe Prince might show up and play with Stevie Wonder. Always a rumor, by the way. Never, never confirmed. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, but I remembered I heard it. All of us backstage were talking about it. I think people in the audience thought it might happen. It was this rumor. So I'm backstage and Stevie Wonder is on stage and he's playing and I'm suddenly aware the way you're aware, like in the sixth sense of a presence, like I could see suddenly my breath, you know, and Mm -hmm. I turn to the left and Prince is there backstage and he's air drumming along to this music and it's the best air drumming I've ever seen. Yes. It's, it's better than the, like the drummer, what the real drummer is doing with Stevie Wonder. What, what Prince is doing is better. It's fantastic. (laughs) And so he saw me and he went, Hey, and I said, um, Oh yeah. Hey, Hey, how are you? He's like, good. Good. And he's still air drumming, not missing a beat. And then he said, um, I said, uh, so there's a rumor that you're going to go out and play with Stevie Wonder. And he went, no, not going to do that. No, just here to watch. And I went, oh, so you're not going to play. And he went, no, 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 not going to play. And I went, okay. And just then Stevie Wonder starts to play Superstition. Ding, 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 ding. And I'm thinking, okay. And I said, um, yeah, because people were saying you were going to go out. And he looked at me and went, no, man, I'm, I'm really not going out. And as he said, I'm not going out, this technician put, <laughs> put that it perfect, I knew you put that perfect, that. that perfect Paisley guitar around his neck. And it was all mic'd up. And he looked at me and went, gotta go. 
And then he fell in with and walked out on stage. And I'm like, that fucker. What? what? And, he, and, I, and part of me thought he just, hey, man, it's supposed to be a secret. I'm backstage. You're going out in eight seconds. You can tell me, yeah, I'm going out. But this was him saying in his own way, mystical way, I can't ruin the surprise. Mm-mm. And I thought, that's perfect. God damn it. That's so perfect. frustrating and so accurate. But it was perfect. <laughs> that's who he was. That's who he was. And yeah. I think that thing that he did, he created this mystique and this thing that he couldn't, he couldn't put down anymore. I think he had mm-hmm. to have that game. There was never, there was never an answer. There was never a yes, he's coming. No, he's not coming. You might see him. You might. And, and the titter of everyone talk, that is the best, that might be the best story about his mystique that I've ever yeah, heard. Yeah, no, it's an absolutely true story. And I've since heard Largo, I'm sure you've performed at Largo. We're, we're doing our late night shows at Largo Theater uh, and now in Los Angeles. That's Right. Um, I'm so happy about that. And but Flanny, who runs Largo, told me, oh, he used to always when someone he liked was coming on, he'd call ahead and he'd mm-hmm. make all these like uh, if, if I could sit in the back and can I have this to drink and can I have this ready? Can I have that ready? And then straw. never mm-hmm. come. <laughs> <laughs> and somewhere he was giggling. Somewhere he was uh, giggling. God, it's like, when, when were we going to get the memo that, that you know, you could be cool too if you if you fucked with people like that. We, we just don't, we don't put in the energy and the time to be that cool. You know what? I think it's also it's different than that. I think you could do it. I could put in all the energy and all the time, and people would would just say, "What an asshole!" Yeah, no. Conan <laughs> called ahead, eat. and he said, "Make sure there's chicken McNuggets there, and make yeah. sure it's with the sweet and sour <laughs> sauce, and make sure that you know you have my favorite pillow." And then <laughs> I didn't show up. Hey, guess what, asshole? You owe us for the chicken McNuggets. <laughs> I want to bring this idea of music and comedy together because I do think one of your, or maybe some source of your superpower is that you are a very talented musician and an incredibly talented comedian and actor. And I see it all coming together. I mean, in so many places, but specifically, and this is one of the roles that you've been nominated for, Connie, the hormone monstrous. Mm. Um, You, the voicing. Now, it's genius voicing. I, I remember when your character first showed up on, on Big Mouth. It's this great scene where you show up and you just, it's so hard to hit a home run with just your voice, but you come out and I don't know where that voice comes from. I, I have no idea where that voice comes from, but <laughs> it is one of the greatest vocal performances I've seen in animation. And I've, I've been around animation a bit. I, I was blown away by that performance Thanks, and still buddy. am. We started doing Big Mouth and I was hired to be Nick's mom. Um, Fred Armisen and I were were hired as his parents. Right. And I think it was like the third, the second or third episode, um, Nick Kroll already was doing um, a hormone monster. And so Jesse's character needed a hormone Mm -hmm. monstrous and she was getting her period and it was all kind of a perfect storm. And I, and they threw it to me. I think the idea was to do a one-off thing. I don't know where the hell that voice came from. 
But, you know, I, the reason I bring up, go back to the music thing is that no one without innate musical talent could play that character because there's mm-hmm. something. And I'm not going to try and do it because I can't I do kinda, it. No I kind of wish you would. Like a little bit. First, there's, a, there's a part where you're talking about, and you're talking about, I'm, this is bad. This is now going to be Nixon. It's gonna, I don't, any voice I do always goes back to Nixon. Uh, now that uh, the girl's having her period, I will... Uh, Resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Um, no, but there's a That's exactly of, like her. Yeah, there's a there's a there's this such a syrupy, sensual. Sometimes I'll see something in print that reminds me I'm not insane, but I got obsessed with the way your character said this certain word, and then I saw online that people were talking about what it, about which was bubble bath, bubble bile. Yeah, <laughs> but you take there's there's only two B's in there. And it's, but you, <laughs> you make such a meal out of it. Such a meal. Give Rudolph, give Rudolph an inch. And she'll make, she'll sure make a meal out of that. It's so true. I don't know. I don't, I remember doing it and I remember sort of being egged on to like, can, can you find more? Can you find, right, right. can you actually find more? And we were trying to make. I think maybe initially because she's meant to be a a hormone monstrous, we were trying to make her voice a roller coaster, Mm -hmm. just like a roller coaster of emotions. So it was sort of that low, high, low dipping stuff. And then I don't know where Bubba (laughs) Blaff. I have never, I, I, I have never, ever, 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 ever asked a celebrity to do my outgoing message, but I swear to God, there's a good chance I'll call you and ask you. I'm into that. Cause, cause all I, I don't even want it to say, Hey, it's Conan. I'm not here right now. I just want people who don't get me to hear you say, you slowly, but it should slowly bubble out from the back of your throat. Yeah, it should take a long time. It's revving. It's revving up. I'd be. By the way, I would be happy to do that for you. Okay, and then I know I'm going to get charged. It's a. It's just. It's a nominal fee. I just require thousand dollars. Anytime I've asked you, dollars and a little bit of stock in the my pill. Um, <laughs> I just want to see that guy get more money. We'll take care of him. We'll take very, very good care of him. Mm. No, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm. I don't think Emmys are uh, Emmy nominations are always proof of anything. I think some. Um, you know, sometimes people get an Emmy nomination. Like, wait, what? I know. The, you know, Pol Pot got an Emmy nomination uh, <laughs> for his, you know, uh, in the seventies for his crimes. Um, but my point <laughs> really? is, really, yeah, and he won. He won. He beat Bob Newhart. That's a, you know what? It's yeah. typical. They didn't. Stalin they, got one. Stalin, uh, yeah. Stalin doesn't surprise me. He won six <laughs> Emmys. I mean, and, listen, uh, I don't. I I don't currently own an Emmy. Um, and I'm not going to lie that it would be great to 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 have one to make Martin Short feel shorter. But um, <laughs> I'd be I, so happy if you beat Martin Short. I love yeah. him and he's a friend, but he's got to go. He's, he's got to go, man. Yeah, it's too much I was, time. I was at his house not too long after the fires mm-hmm. and I walk in and he says, something's happened. And he takes me into his office. You know, he's got all his pictures and he says, my Emmy's gone. And he's... <laughs> really being matter of fact about how his Emmy's missing and we had the fires and he had, you know, he had to evacuate everyone in the, in, right. in the area had to evacuate and he's talking about this stuff. And then Henry 
and his, uh, his, his son Henry and his daughter-in-law came home and he was telling them, I don't believe this. Something happened. And he said, Dad, it's in the back of my car. So basically what he had Henry do is pack everything important. Up. So he told he told Henry to pack up his Emmy just right. in case the house burned down. And guess what? I'll tell you a true story about Martin Short. He has two dogs and he left the dogs. That's a true story. I believe that. And took the Emmy and yeah. took food for the Emmy. Yeah. Um, and left the dogs. The Emmy, has, the Emmy actually has like a little um, go a carrying case that he straps. <laughs> he straps on the front of him like a newborn. He has a baby Bjorn, <laughs> yeah. and it holds. And well, the thing is, the Emmy Marty Marty Short told me this. The Emmy loves to hear your heartbeat because uh, yeah. it knows. And so he had the Emmy, and um, he's got all these lacerations from the sharp wings. But um, yeah, oh it's, god, you know, is this true? I always heard that Tina. Faye saw you at the Groundlings and she was really blown away as anyone would be by you, but she was really impressed. I think the story was that you had a, maybe your improv partner was not helping you out too much and she saw how you handled it, which I can imagine you doing so well, but being improv is such a you are so dependent on, on the other person. On the other person is, can you elaborate anything on that story? I don't want to give away any names or, you know. Well, my improv partner Conan O'Brien and I were okay. Listen, <laughs> listen. No, listen. No, the truth is that I knew, I knew right away that she was I an ally. That night. <laughs> um, you know, it was one of those things where you're at the theater and you hear like some some hot shots from Saturday Night Live are going to be. They always say like producers from the show are going to be in the audience, so everyone's nervous. But the truth is that later on when she did tell me, I saw that that guy was fucking with you and I saw how you handled it. Because the Mm -hmm. truth is he wasn't being a bad improviser. He was so skilled that he was fucking with me. Oh. And she knew that and she could tell that. And um, it really pleased me that she recognized that what someone who probably isn't an improviser would have noticed that he was trying to fuck me up and make me stumble. And, um, because there were these people in the audience. It was that kind of a thing. And I, yeah. and I was really I was really grateful that it was someone that speaks that language and that understood and she knew. So, we've tried to kill him, but it, <laughs> we haven't had we haven't had any success. No, it's very I mean, I think Bob Odenkirk has since apologized. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I, uh, I'm very in, uh, grateful to, I mean, to you, to Tina, Amy Poehler, Kristen Wiig. I mean, all these people that I have uh, a daughter, a 16 year old daughter, and all of you, and 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 you, you know, so well. You've been relentlessly funny and inventive and talented, and then, and I'm, I want to make sure I say this the right way, like. People's gender to me is almost like it's the afterthought. You're just such funny people. Correct. Do you know what I mean? And, and yeah. I love, I love that we're getting to a place where it used to be Lucille Ball is a funny woman, and yeah. then I think, and I hope this is true, that we're getting to a place where it's just there's so many goddamn really funny, brilliant women who are. I don't know. Gender, uh, I mean, it's part of it, but it's not part of it in a beautiful way. Does that make sense? Yes, because you and I have both been through this so many times. We've heard this question before. We were brought up in uh, an environment where it's a woman in a woman in comedy is is, is the phrase that you hear over and over again. And then when when my group was at Saturday Night Live, there were so many 
incredible women that were there before me. And I loved both the men and the women on the show. I was, I was equally attracted. I would have had sex with all of them. They were all that funny, like whether they were male or female. But the thing is that the questions that my generation of women were getting was, you know, it's a real boys club at Saturday Night Live. How do you deal with that? And it was so much, it it just didn't, it, it was based more on this idea that was in print and this journalistic story. Like everyone has to have a story. So they kept asking us this story that wasn't really applying to us anymore, whether we had something to do with it or whether we were the recipients of the benefits of people that came before us, whatever the hell it was, Mm -hmm. it just kind of, continued on to I I remember all this talking about it because we had to do uh, an article I don't even remember it was like Time Magazine so it was was something was like the perfect storm of like Tina being the first female head writer and all then there were like five females in the cast once and everyone was really strong and that was kind of the moment where I think someone said, like, can we stop asking this question? Because mm-hmm. I was never a little girl that was hoping to be the first, you know, funny woman in my family. It was just sort of like being funny was cool. My brother was funny growing up. My brother and I used to watch the gong show and um, mm-hmm. make me laugh. And that and my dad showed us um, Mel Brooks movies and comedy was cool to me I, I i wasn't watching it so that i could be a cool lady like it it's like you said it was you know my gender was first of all predisposed i had no choice but like it wasn't part of the thought process or conversation right. and it never is really so you know it's sort of like it's like anything it's like when you put yourself out into the world people have to create a name for it and a category or it's yeah. it's like wow you're so funny this is the first time we've ever seen you serious what's that like and you're like i'm still the same fucking idiot who's eating the same yogurt every morning i ha- i haven't changed um but people need to define you somehow and yes. it's sort of like yes. how how you are digested in the world um it, it is true that i think we certainly are getting better, but I just don't, I don't know that that is ever going to change because people love to label. It's, 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 it's kind of lame. Well, I've, you know, noticed that it's the need. I think it's a very human need. It's not just the media. I'm not going to blame the media. I think it's a very human need that there's a lot going on out there and we want to make it make sense. So, and you're a fascinating person to talk to about this because you are such a great, shapeshifter and you just keep changing and so I think you could put out an album you could uh, have an incredible crush in a a dramatic role you can be uh, uh, like steal a show with a voice uh, and a cartoon you could do a puppet show I just don't know what what you Mm -hmm. could come up with next but I think think that there's always going to be a desire to say she was a funny lady on SNL. Yeah. Or but like then or, suddenly, you know, <laughs> that's always happened to me. We're like, there hasn't been an African-American woman on the show since Maya Rudolph. I was like, oh, I, it's good to know I was African-American when I worked there. I didn't, you know, that was that's the new, it's always something. I used to shout that whenever you would come on camera. Here comes the African-American. <laughs> yeah. And then I, people told that me that's not cool. You know. I used to I remember I, I, I went into Lauren's office and I was like, Am I the black girl on the show? And he's like, I always think of you as the Jewish girl. I was like, right, right. I'm never gonna, just like just like Prince. I'm never going to get a straight answer out of out of beloved Lauren either. But but the truth is that shape shifting thing that you're talking about is actually 
um, like a very clear indication of like how I like to put myself out in the world and how I feel about being in the world. Like I don't really want to feel like one thing. And I totally get it when you say that not just, it's not just a journalistic story, but people need to mm-hmm. feel like they know what they're consuming or digesting. And, and it is really interesting. You know, I think just naturally, I really gravitate towards whatever rises to the top. If it's fantastic, it's fantastic. I mean, yeah. I don't really want to know about the other stuff. And if it's like right. fair, fair to Midland, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not that interested. So it's the, it's the quality quality that I desire. Um, and it, I think it's probably the qual- the quality of the work that I'm looking, looking forward to doing in what I'm doing, um, which is probably why, I don't know, I think maybe with, like with Connie, with the, with the big mouth stuff, I think it's like the fir- one of the most successful things I've ever done, but I think it's probably because I'm laughing so hard when I'm doing it. It's like, yeah. They give me the fucking funniest stuff to say. I say butthole on a regular basis, which is my all time favorite word. Like I say the nastiest, dumbest stuff. And it's so fun. And I find myself joyful and giddy when I leave because because I'm happy. And like that stuff is it's back to the whole Gilda theory. It's like that that joy, you know, when you're in the room with someone that makes you laugh, when you're at work and you're happy and you're genuinely making yourself laugh, it's just better work. It comes out better and people and somehow that transfers and people it resonates. I said this many times, but uh, there's so many moments, some of my happiest moments in my comedy career are not recorded. I mean, I'm just picturing you and Melania and Kroll in between takes. Oh, my fucking God. Around. And, and I think that would be like, oh, OK, that would you're being just as funny when it's not being recorded as you are when it's being recorded. The, the one person that I probably regularly have recorded with more than anyone is Nick um, mm-hmm. for that show. And I think he might be one of the funniest fucking people of all time. He's all right. Let's so, not do that. Let's I mean, not do that. I mean, OK, he's not Irish. Which is a, which is a real which is a real ding against him. So he's got that going against him. Well, no, I've got two dogs, not yeah, one another, but two dogs. I just had a dog sent over to you. Did you get oh, it? I, I just got him. Look, he's dog. right. He's right there. Yep, that's the one I picked out. You got yeah, yeah. He's yeah, big, that, much bigger than the other one. Yeah, yeah. Thank his you. Name's, his name's Reinhardt. Reinhardt. Thanks, Reinhardt. Yeah, yeah, I had that center. I always, if I really like a guest, I give a signal at one point, send a dog over to that guest. Yeah, so that's for you. This this monster is a puppy, if you can believe it. That's a puppy? We're looking, we're on a Zoom call, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, during this COVID era, that's how we do it. And you are being very generous in showing, you keep swinging the camera around to show us all kinds of things. I now know where you live. Uh, (laughs) I can can judge by the uh, the pin of... Oak. It's just it's, outside. It's not. It's not as glamorous as you thought, is it? I live in a one-bedroom condo. Yeah, it's depressing. <laughs> it's depressing. <laughs> yeah, it's really depressing. And there's just there's an old poster of the Fonz uh, <laughs> on the wall, and uh, just some scattered uh, man. He was one of my first loves, and I used to play. Um, demolition Derby when I was a kid and, and wrapped my arm in a paper towel hoping that I was like Pinky. Remember Pinky? Yeah, Pinky uh, Tuscadero. Tuscadero. And I would um, I would fantasize that I got to marry the Fonz. That's um, so cool. You know who, this is such a creepy thing, but one of my, my first TV crush, and it's so creepy to admit to, is 
uh, I was so young and it was showing in reruns, but Sally Field's first, like one of her big roles in TV was the flying nun. She was oh a nun that flew. God, I had a course. crush on a nun. Yeah, you did. <laughs> That's wrong. I was a crush on a nun. But your senses were right. You knew that there was something else underneath yes, that habit. But it's wrong. I just, and I'm, I don't think I've ever She's admitted cute. that until, I don't think I've ever said that out loud till today. I fuck, I guess you are a therapist. I've been crushed on a nun. I do not want to keep you any longer uh, because you have been incredibly generous with your time. Well, I'm also, my fee is a lot more expensive in the second hour. <laughs> For flipping over. Um, just uh, is, uh, such a delight. Such a delight to, oh, so uh, to nice talk to you. to talk to you. And, and I'm, I'm really into all the stuff we talked about. I could talk about the stuff with you. Um, for a long time it's okay well, then let's continue for another hour All um right. i see a publicist in the background <laughs> throwing things uh listen um i uh i'm very good friends with martin short but i'm rooting for you screw marty short i, I he you're... he can suck it he's got all <laughs> he's yes! got plenty yes he's he's got enough enough he's with the got martin enough. short he's got two latin grammys the guy has enough you know <laughs> So, so I, I am, I am really, uh, I'm, I'm, and it's silly because I, I want you to win. I want you to win everything. Uh, but, um, your talent Thanks, uh, and your grace is completely undisputed. So, uh, uh you do not you. need, uh, you do not need an Emmy, but, um, you do need more dogs in your house. I and, do need, uh, I have one more. He's a lot older. He knows his place. Um, <laughs> I am really, uh, I am very, um, I'm so um, honored to hear that from you. I've loved you for so long, as you know. And then I'm really, it means a lot coming from you saying all that stuff. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, it. best of luck to you and uh, and my best to your very talented uh, other half. Um, you mean my dog, Daisy? Your dog, Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> Great director, by the way. Uh, by the way, look at her face. She looks angry. She does. Indifferent, <laughs> angry, and a You know what? Not a Conan fan. She's not a Conan uh, fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, Thank you. That was, I will definitely give Paul your love. And um, I watched, I made my son uh, watch um, There Will Be Blood with me last night because really? I, I've watched it over 50 times. And the times I've been around uh, your husband, I've restrained myself. I have not asked him questions that I've wanted to ask him about his movies. He's, he's one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Yeah. You should. I think he would. Uh, I should. Well, say, he, is, I think he, he is, would like it. He is an undisputed uh, master and, and he really uh, makes movies just for me, I think. So I just watched it, I think, for the 55th time last night and uh, had my son watch it with me and he loved it, too. So. That's so cool. Um, but enough about him. Screw him. Well, yeah. you know, who but he does, about- by the way, he does. Do, he does make them for you. I know. That's what I know. And you know what? You can tell because at the top it always says for Conan. Mm-hmm. There's always just a sort of and a, then a little. little... <laughs> <laughs> Maya, um, congratulations on all the amazing stuff that's deservedly happening for you. And uh, Thanks, I buddy. can't wait to see you in a non-COVID world where we can hang. That'd be Same. nice. I would, I would really like that. You make me very happy. Thank you. All this right, was you really fun. You bye too. Bye-bye. 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 Let's check in with some more voicemails from listeners. Does that sound good? Yes, yes. I love to hear what the listeners think. I like to try and please them. So let's do as you suggested. Hi, Conan. Uh, This is Anna. I wanted to let you know how much you have affected my family. Not in a bad way, 
My dad always wanted four kids, and my mom said, mm, that's not happening. So when my sister was born, uh, she would get up in the middle of the night and nurse my sister. And in order to keep my dad awake, she would always turn on Conan O'Brien. And so to this day, my dad always says, you know, the reason you don't have any more brothers or sisters is Conan O'Brien. <laughs> and uh, I want to let you know that you're curbing the population with your show. <laughs> and now my sister's an adult and I'm an adult. And actually, I have my own daughter and we watch Conan O'Brien er, and listen to him, you, all the time. Aww. So uh, thank you for keeping our numbers low. Have a great day. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> to keeping our numbers low. Yeah, yeah I am a uh, spermicidal gel. <laughs> we're finding out. That, uh, <laughs> it is so funny because I completely, that resonates with me because especially uh, all those years, 16 years of doing uh, late night uh, at, at 1230, people would always come up to me who uh, were new moms and they would say, I never was up that late. Mr. This is long before, you know, internet and ways of recording things. So people would always say, I love your show, and then tell me why they were up at 1235, uh. which was really funny. It was like, oh, I've really grown to love the show. You see, I uh, I have a very bad rash, and there's a cream I need to put on uh, every six hours. Now, I put it on before I go to sleep, but that means I have to get up again at 1230 and reapply the cream for my burn. So it was, it was just always this hilarious really like the show and my teeth need to be taken out at 1235 <laughs> and put in a solution of formaldehyde for 10 minutes and then replace in my jaw and during that time while I'm waiting uh, I watch your show so I but I was uh, specifically here from moms and they were always they always looked really tired and they were always pushing a stroller with a newborn baby and they were like, Yeah, the show's had a good theme this week. It's had a good feel. <laughs> and and you could tell they were up watching me under duress. <laughs> So I believe that. Um, what's the logic? Help me through the logic of how I kept the numbers low. Because they were up feeding the child. Here's what I I think he wanted. They wanted four or somebody wanted four kids. Then they you they would watch you and maybe you took them out of the mood to do it. Well, she, I don't know. Yeah. So is that what she's saying? Is she saying that? Or is it not that she she knows you were from a big family and they don't want that? To yeah, happen? it could be that, too. I don't think that was implied. I think what she's saying, and this could be this is my read on it. Mm hmm. That no man can perform while hearing my voice. Okay. It's why I can't speak when I'm having sex. What? Wait, uh, what? <laughs> because I wither my own erection with my voice. <laughs> I think that's what she's saying. That's just true. And I've been. Wither. I do. It withers. It's like. Uh, it's like a. It's like a chili pepper that withered on the vine. Uh, it withers yeah. instantly. Like you know the time lapse of something rotting, where it shows something rotting and time lapse. You know, and it goes yeah. from healthy to then just withering really quickly, and then then there are flies all over it, and then uh, it's gone. Um, yeah. That's what happens to a male penis when it hears my voice. Yeah, so I haven't had sex since I took this job. Oh, yeah. no. 
No, it's, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, it's one of the reasons why if you look at countries where this podcast is very popular, those populations are dropping rapidly. They're seeing a rap. That's why we are there. They won't allow us to be shown in Italy because Italy has a terrible population problem. They really need the population to grow uh-huh. in Italy and, and the Italian people are disappearing. They found out that we were doubling, <laughs> tripling the, uh, well, actually, we were cutting it by a third. Oh, we okay. okay. We were cutting. I bet every time you do a Conan Without Borders, you can just measure that data. There's a steep drop right yeah, there. Yeah, we went to Mexico. Yeah. Um, no births since I went to Mexico. Oh, no. Korea, no births since I went to Korea. Well, actually, one birth, but uh, um, the child Wait, is strange. You were born and then your your parents had three more kids, though. Yeah, but I, I was kept in a different room. I was kept far away. I was kept oh. up in the attic they of our isolated house. you? Yeah, they isolated me so that they could have more children. <laughs> and that was something that people realized right away that my voice, even as a child, wah, wah, it was a high reedy, wah, 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 wah. And so they realized if we're going to have a large family, which is our dream, uh, we need to isolate this child. Oh, so they, yeah. they isolated me. Uh, but yeah, I'm a walking spermicidal gel. Uh, I am um, a deboner, I suppose you would say. Uh, um, <laughs> I have called you a boner killer. Yes, you have. In past uh, podcasts, I think. Boner yeah. killer. Yeah. That would be your I don't think power. No one could. We're the opposite of what you would put on. Mm-hmm. This show is the opposite yeah. of what you would put on this podcast to set the mood. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. people classically say, oh, you got to put on this music. Mm-hmm. This is what you got to have. You got to light these candles. Like very white. Yeah. Candles. Yeah. And you want to get the mood just right. And I think. We're the Barry Manilow of podcasts. <laughs> no, I don't think that's fair. <laughs> to be Barry Manilow or Barry Manilow. I think that's unfair to him. I mean, Lola, she was a dancer. That's, that's, she was a showgirl. She was a showgirl? Yeah. Oh, is that what she did? Yeah, yeah. Lola, yeah. she was a showgirl. And she oh, wait, did something. Am I right? No. Her name yeah. was Lola. She was, show, she yeah. was a showgirl. That's a showgirl. Yeah. And then she did some really it's cool stuff. And she has a Anyway, um, don't sing it because we oh, can't wait. afford to pay the rest. Okay. But us singing Barry Manilow is a boner killer. Yeah. I don't know why. I, listen, I reject this whole. I'm saying very clearly that my reedy, needy voice uh-huh. would drain. Any penis of its life-giving blood. So even if you were like reading an exotic novel, like, an, I mean, not exotic, erotic novel. Yeah, I've tried that. Oh, okay. When I read Fifty Shades of Grey yeah. out loud and talk about, you know, the various plugs that were put in the butt and oh, stuff like that. Come on. Um, yeah. Come it, on. It, it just yeah. becomes oh, the least yeah. erotic experience anybody's ever had. Well, the way you just said it now. You just sterilized <laughs> me by saying that right now. I can, um, yeah, I can... <laughs> Oh my God! I would like to have a child one day. Please, you know it'd be great. It would be plug. You know it'd be great. It would be great if I read some erotic fiction uh-huh. and we oh, tested yes. this out. It'd be great if I just yes. read a page of like the most erotic page of um, of Fifty Shades of Grey, and you would see, you would see how no one out there gets aroused. Absolutely no one. I mean, I could pull it up. Tune in next episode. Let's do a two parter. I mean, but, I could try to pull it up. Try to pull it up. It's on your fucking screensaver. Okay. You know. I have watched all three of the movies. She loves the movies. I don't understand the thing about Fifty Shades of Grey, which is they get married. 
I'm sorry, no. And then it's still like this forbidden. He's now it's time for you to put on the leather chaps mm-hmm. and descend into the pit. And I'm going to take this rubber pickle and I'm going to like, no, rubber married pickle. people don't do that. <laughs> married people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> We've got to go. We got to get going. We said we were going to rent, you know, we got to get over to the Schlesingers. We got to get going. We're supposed to be there in half an hour. Stop dragging your ass. No, but first you're going to take off. I'm going to tie you up. And now you're not going to fucking tie me up. We've got to go. And then we've got to get the PTA thing. We've got to be there. We said we'd be there. Yeah, you're going to hear more about this next episode when I will read some classic erotic fiction. And classic. you will see how my voice completely drains uh, all sexual tension out of even the most erotic prose. Oh, God. Well, oil up and stay tuned, everyone. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend with Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Becton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. <laughs>